0: Welcome to Change Now. Yes, because we need to change now. Now is when your impact story starts. Listen, get inspired by visionary changemakers, and be part of the change. True change requires collective action and systemic shifts. It's not about individual perfection, but about demanding accountability from those with the power to make a significant impact. We all, and you, have the power to make change happen. In this episode, explore every step we can take to bring us closer to a more just and sustainable future with Clover Hogan, activist and founder of Force of Nature. So, when I turned 11, I declared to my parents over dinner that I wanted to become an activist. Now, it was a bold statement, built on a promise to myself that I wouldn't just be an activist, but I would be the most devout activist possible. Twelve years later, and I'm a strict vegetarian. Except for when I gorge on salmon sushi, uh, kitchen lights off, should anyone discover my shameful secret. Like my boyfriend, who I only half-jokingly remind meat is murder every time he tries to order a hamburger. I don't shop fast fashion, except for socks. No matter how sustainable I want to be, I just can't justify 12 euro on a bit of eco cloth to swaddle my feet. And come to think of it, I haven't really had to buy fashion for some time because of the amount I'm gifted by brands hoping I'll model them to my meager Instagram following. I refuse to drive a car a.k.a. a gas-guzzling, planet-destroying combustion engine. Except when it's an absolute emergency. Like when it's raining. Or when the idea of cozying up to a stranger on the bus is enough to make me want to throw myself in front of one. I've posted petitions against the destructive uh, and toxic mining of copper and lithium from devices that would not function without them. Over the past decade, my idealistic activism has become a parade of caveats and contradictions. Now, when I started out as an activist, I thought I had to be perfect to be legitimate. And I vilified anyone who wasn't. I hurled moral ammunition at my dad for being a self-proclaimed animal lover while enthusiastically soaring into his stake. I could almost see the horns protruding from the shiny, bald scalps of the people running companies producing palm oil and plastic. I pleaded with my friends and family to watch the documentaries that made me sob in front of my computer screen. And I guilt-tripped them if they didn't upheave their lives to solve the cause of the week. It was only when I left school and started working that I encountered the first challenge to my puritanical activism. Being perfect wasn't just impossible, it was paralyzing leaving me twisted in endless ethical knots and bound by the fear of taking a misstep. Now, if you Google how to solve the climate crisis, you will drown in a sea of articles featuring top tips on how you can do your bit. From buying reasonable coffee cups to reducing food waste at home. Now, this is no mere coincidence. In 2004, BP, or British Petroleum, which promptly rebranded to Beyond Petroleum, came up with an ingenious marketing ploy. They created the Carbon Footprint Calculator, an effective way to shine the spotlight on individuals and away from themselves. In the same period, they were profiting an average of one million pounds per hour from fossil fuels. You may recall that just six years later, there was the BP oil spill, one of the worst environmental disasters in history. If you were holding out for a redemption arc, I am sorry to disappoint. Last year, BP profited $28 billion and actually reversed their plans to cut back on oil and gas production. Even though 100 companies are responsible for 71% of global emissions, many climate conversations today circle around how long you shower, how you get around, which light bulbs you use. Remember that great quote, the greatest trick the devil ever played was convincing the world he didn't exist. Sounds kind of familiar, huh? Unfortunately, this trick has worked a great deal. It has served as an effective Trojan horse for companies to focus on quote-unquote consumer activism and given rise to countless types of greenwashing. There are the obvious ones, like green labeling and suggestive imagery, simply using sustainable language and visuals with no evidence or certifications. A good example is H&M's Conscious Collection. There is vagueness. Say, the package around a plastic toy is labelled recyclable, without saying whether it refers to the package, the toy, or components of either. And then there's the rather bold-faced one of irrelevance. Say, an aerosol spray uh, advertised as CFC-free when CFCs or chlorofluorocarbons, the stuff that created the hole in the ozone layer, have been illegal in the US since 1978. Then there are the more insidious types of greenwashing. For example, hidden trade-offs. You might remember when Starbucks introduced straw-free lids in response to public outcry on plastic. But forgot to mention that the new lids actually use more throwaway plastic. Or there's selective disclosure. Say, a car company pra- praising its electric vehicles while ignoring the destructive and incredibly unjust mining practices to make its lithium batteries. There's also work washing, when companies use social movements to improve their optics. A brand is celebrated for changing its logo to the rainbow flag on Pride Day or launching a campaign featuring black and brown faces on the anniversary of BLM. Yet its products may very well be manufactured in a country where it's illegal to be gay or be made by children who had to drop out of school on slave wages to support their families. In the age of corporate activism, it is more important to be seen doing the right thing than actually doing it. And it's easy for companies to pass the buck onto individuals. Better yet, if they can make money off of us via sustainability premiums. Now, corporations may have built the Trojan horse, but media are the ones peddling it. I'm going to cue a video here this is an interview between Richard Madley, a host of Good Morning Britain, and Miranda Wellahan, a student activist and member of Just Stop Oil. Your protest, by definition, massively imperfect. I mean, the clothes that you're wearing, to some extent, owe their existence to oil because they were taken in a car or a truck or a van to a shop, you know? There are, there are so many ways that oil imp- impacts on your life. Uh, as, a, as a protester, but you don't acknowledge that. We're talking about crop failure by 2030. We're talking about people in this country right now in fuel poverty because of the prices of oil. No, and you're, you're talking no about no the minute. clothes that no, I'm wearing. No, no. no listen, but this to, is to so fair, to serious. Answered, to be fair, up to now you've answered questions, but that's a complete avoidance of the question. What about the accusation of hypocrisy that actually you owe your lifestyle just as much to oil as the rest of us? If we want to talk about hypocrisy, look at the government that has pledged for net zero by 20. But they pledged for net zero by 2050, (laughs) and now they're looking at opening 42 new oil fields, which will be releasing fossil fuels into the 2050s. That is a death sentence for my generation and for your children. Are you going to answer that question, or would you? you I just. uh, How can we be talking about individual scale when we're asking the government to change, so we as individuals no longer have to be reliant? Cheers for Miranda. I would not have been able to keep my cool like she did in that conversation. Now, this isn't just a clip of a 65-year-old man attempting to bully and ridicule a 20-year-old activist on national TV. It is a disturbing example of the fossil fuel industry and its media allies using the so-called hypocrisy of activists to distract us from holding big interests accountable. This culture of shaming and blaming has affected my generations in ways you might not expect. Today, 70% of young people are eco-anxious, and 56% of young people believe that humanity is doomed. Eco-anxiety doesn't merely stem from the enormity of the climate crisis, but from misplaced responsibility. Greta Thunberg was embroiled in scandal when photographed with plastic packaging on a train. A friend of mine made national headlines in the UK and received rape and death threats when she walked through a field of bluebells, damaging some burgeoning bulbs. I was branded a hypocrite by the CEO of a multi-billion dollar aviation company for flying to COP21 as a 16-year-old. Many of us have learned to deal with so-called trolls on the internet. And it's easy to dismiss them as old white men in need of therapy. <laughs> However, I will say that it's a different ball game when the rhetoric comes from within your movement, when it comes from folks who are meant to be on your side. There was the activist who called me a sellout, for talking to people in companies, or the activist who told me I needed to be held accountable for attending an event hosted by a politician they disagreed with. A peer questioned if I could really call myself an activist, considering I'd never personally organized a protest. I often fear that if I voice an opinion that deviates from the collective, I'll be framed as some kind of infiltrator or a sympathizer to the other side. On social media, if I remain silent on issues I honestly don't know much about, like the Israel-Palestine conflict or water pollution in Hawaii, then I'm complicit. But God forbid I only read an article and post it on my Instagram story because then I'm performative. We recently surveyed some of our global youth community at Force of Nature. 83% said they had chosen not to post about a cause they cared about for fear of being called out. The fixation on individual actions has created this myth of perfectionism and served as a vehicle to undermine the credibility of people who are simply trying to make a difference. Our movement is descending into a circular firing squad of mutual mistrust and blame, weakening our collective ability to work together. This is also preventing folks from the outside from wanting to engage. A study from First Light surveyed the British public and they found that 42% of people believe that they're being lectured to about climate change, and 53% of people feel powerless in the face of it. To quote one of the participants, Ellen, I feel that we're being dictated to. We're told we must do this, we mustn't do that, and if you don't do it, then you're a really, really bad person and you don't care about anything. Many participants from this study echoed this sentiment, being made to feel guilty for not participating in lifestyle changes, which are frankly often inaccessible, exclusive to those with the privilege of excess time and money. People also intuitively know that these individual actions do not amount to the change that is needed. Another participant, Brian, said, no matter what we do in this country If everybody towed the line on all the recommendations and everything else, we would possibly make a 1% difference. When I first started talking on social media about the need to progress beyond individual actions, I received a lot of really angry messages. A number of them, perhaps unsurprisingly, came from people who had started their own carbon tracking apps. But ironically, I have been that person. When I was 16, I designed an app to help people track the environmental impact of eating meat. I was convinced that if enough people understood the difference they could make in their personal lives, we could turn the world to vegetarian. Now, the app landed me a job at Impossible Foods the headline-grabbing company in Silicon Valley making meat from plants. Yet, I quickly learnt how inconsequential my approach was without systemic solutions. What Pat O'Brown, the founder, understood is that it wasn't effective to merely appeal to people's altruism or to expect them to give up something they loved for, let's be honest, soggy soy patties. Yes, people are willing to change, and yes, we need masses of individuals shifting their behavior. But that task was all but impossible without an alternative to meat that looked and tasted and even bled just like the real thing. A solution that was both accessible and irresistible. To take another example, yes, people should recycle. But if we're not lobbying politicians to regulate the companies flooding us with plastic, then we're ignoring the impending tsunami to fix a leaky tap. So I'm not discounting individual actions. I think they can be a great starting point and help people live in a way that feels aligned with our values. I just think we're capable of a whole lot more. You might start by composting in your own home. But what if you and your neighbors worked with your local council to ensure composting is the default in your community? Yes, you can share a petition on Instagram, but why not become part of an organizing group like Extinction Rebellion and participate in a direct action or join a group taking the government to court? In the next panel, you're gonna hear from a friend who did exactly that. You can share a climate news story in your work chat, but what if you were to start a climate action meetup? Or if your current job doesn't focus on climate, what would happen if you moved to work for a cause that you truly care about? The average person will spend 90,000 hours at work over their lifetime. How do you want to make the most of that time? What I'm describing aren't one-off actions or incremental changes. I'm talking about activism in its truest meaning of the word. People working together for social, political and environmental change. I'll end on a quote from one of my favourite films, The Hunger Games. Before Katniss enters the arena for the second time, her mentor, Hamish reminds her, remember who the true enemy is. Let us remember that the enemy is a system that reinforces inequality and injustice. A system that makes us complicit in mass suffering. A system that renders it near impossible to consistently do the right or responsible thing. So, like the change-makers who have come before us, the suffragettes, the civil rights movement, the Stonewall uprising, people power is the only thing that ever changes the world. We don't need a hundred perfect activists, but millions of imperfect ones. Let us retire the myth of individualism and work collectively with hands-joined and with courage in our hearts to create a world by our own design. Thank you.